great to be here at CLC. Yeah, I've been looking forward to uh, just coming here. We've been wanting to just come visit for a while now, my wife and I. Uh, so we're excited to be here and uh, got to bring some friends with me. Nick's been asking when I'm going to come share at CLC. So he's been looking forward to come and visit CLC. Uh, you guys have marked our lives in a good way uh, through our partnership with the eye screening and just through getting to know one another. Uh, our church and, and myself, we just have a great affection for this body of believers and are excited even moving forward what God could continue to do in and through us as we partner together in the gospel. And I, I've personally been excited as Pastor Andrew was telling me that you're in a series about generosity and that you're asking the Spirit of God to spark really a movement of generosity in and through your church and that you've entitled this series called More Than Money. And as uh, Pastor Andrew alluded to, he asked if I would kind of speak to uh, the topic of how can we sustain long-term generosity? How can we sustain kind of long-term giving of ourselves towards mercy and compassion ministries? And so I wanted to share a little bit of my story uh, and in the midst of that story, I wanted to share what God has been showing me about my own heart along the journey. Uh, and I hope that as I share kind of what he's been showing me about my heart, that it would be an encouragement to some of you. So for me, myself, I, uh, I grew up in Michigan, uh, in southwest Michigan, in kind of a, a small rural town. Uh, but I moved to the city of Chicago uh, in the fall of 2001. And I moved there. Uh, to study urban ministry at Moody Graduate School. And while I was a student at Moody, I had a professor who just kind of lit a fire in me, and really he lit a fire in the entire student body about God's heart for the poor uh, and God's heart for the marginalized and, and how the gospel compels us towards lives of mercy and justice. And through kind of his oversight, I just felt like there were times where I almost kind of floated out of the classroom, just ready to kind of hit the streets of Chicago. And uh, early on, I started, uh, while I was a student there, I discovered a Dunkin' Donuts not far from campus uh, that was alive with nightlife. And so there were uh, homeless folks and uh, different folks battling addiction and some folks uh, caught up in prostitution and I came to realize that this particular Dunkin' Donuts was kind of a, a nightly thoroughfare uh, for different people from the street. And so I intentionally planted myself there uh, while I was a student and just sought to learn how can I live out the gospel amongst this community. And I, I learned a lot during that season as a student. And also as a student, uh, I discovered that there was a ministry uh, about three or four blocks from campus called Sunshine Gospel Ministries. And it was a ministry that was working with youth and families in the Cabrini Green housing projects. And so I began to volunteer there. And that's where I met Pastor Aaron and Ann Christensen, who both are on staff at our church. I met them working with the youth and families in the Cabrini Green community. And so I was learning so much in the classroom and then trying to figure out how can I live out the gospel working with under-resourced families. Well, then I graduated from school in Sunshine because the city of Chicago was literally tearing down 
the housing projects, we decided to relocate to the south side of Chicago. And so I was one of the first uh, staff persons to move into our new neighborhood on the south side. We adopted an incarnational philosophy of ministry, which meant that we wanted to live amongst the people whom we were going to serve. And so we moved to Woodlawn, which was a historic African-American community. Uh, the, the part of Woodlawn that we were ministering in was a, a lower-income community, and we, we moved in, and we began to do life with our neighbors. And we volunteered in the public schools, and we began to run after-school programs, and we took kids to camp, and I coached basketball, and all an assortment of different things. And during that season, just asking God for direction and how can I live out the gospel uh, in a community that is stricken with poverty and unemployment and gang challenges and educational inequity and broken families. And I was just seeking the Lord for what it meant to live out the gospel there. Well, then in the fall of 2011, uh, I won't go into the full story, but I felt God leading me to relocate to join in what God was doing in Richmond. And it's been a new season. It's been about two and a half years now, joining along with uh, Pastor Aaron and seeking the Lord for what does it mean to live out the gospel in Richmond in a multi-ethnic, multi-socioeconomic community, uh, working with people with different needs, folks struggling with addiction and folks on the street. Now I'm seeking the Lord for what does it mean to live out the gospel in Richmond. And I think one of the, the beautiful things about the transition has been that since moving to a new place, I've had time to look back on those previous 10 years in inner city Chicago and reflect on what God was showing me there. While at the same time being in a new place and seeking to figure out what it means to live out the gospel in Richmond, saying, Lord, what are you showing me here as well? And what I've noticed as I've looked back and also looked forward about my heart is that in the midst of ongoing, you know, what many would call mercy ministry is that my heart tends to have kind of pendulum swings away from the gospel. So if you picture a pendulum, I was going to try to kind of design a pendulum up here, but if I had a pendulum in my hand, and if I set it in motion, you know that a pendulum swings from side to side. And what I've noticed is that with my own heart, in order for me to sustain long-term commitment in ministry, and as you think through this movement of generosity that you want to be sustained and that you want to do good for others and to give glory to God, I think it's important for all of us to consider that we need to make sure that the pendulum rests in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because I'm guessing that you're somewhat like me that easily the pendulum swings to either side. And I'll, I'll put up a slide just to kind of show you what this looks like for me. Sometimes the pendulum swings over to this side and there's times where I just get to a place where I feel completely overwhelmed. Where I'm just tired of giving. I'm tired of serving. Uh, I get discouraged. I, I feel like my best efforts aren't good enough. I feel like we're spinning our wheels in ministry. That it's 
that there's just no fruit. And there's times where the pendulum swings over to this side. And sometimes not only does discouragement and overwhelmingness set in, but there's even times where I pessimism sets in and cynicism. Where I'm cynical maybe about the things that I'm seeing. And so that's the one side. And I think maybe some of you have experienced that as we seek to enter into compassion and mercy ministry. And some of these issues are big. For example, uh, sex trafficking in the Bay Area is a big thing. How are we going to tackle this? Or sometimes just because it's relationship-based, it's just, it's messy. And so there's ups and downs. And when those downs come, how do we deal with it? Now, on the other side, sometimes the pendulum swings to the other side where maybe things are going well and maybe I'm feeling pretty good about it. And if I'm honest, sometimes I find myself a little bit self-righteous. You see, for my 13 or so years in ministry, I've done it primarily as a missionary who's raised support. So I've been working in kind of under-resourced, cross-cultural contexts, and I've been raising support primarily from churches who are in more kind of rural, affluent contexts. And so sometimes I feel like I'm the guy who's really doing it. I'm doing the ministry in the hard context, right? The, the mercy, compassion stuff. And so if I'm honest, I've sometimes struggled with self-righteous. And then also sometimes I, I get discouraged by what I see maybe in the church at whole and I say, man, where is the church? Now there's part of that I think is, is a good thing to want to see the church mobilized. But part of that can be my own self-righteousness. I'm doing it Why isn't everybody else? And if we're not careful, kind of a savior complex can, you know, that the folks that I'm serving are really blessed to have me here. And so that's the other way that the pendulum can swing. And for all of us, whether you're just kind of starting on this journey or you're a few years in or wherever you're at, I really believe all of us have to guard against those pendulum swings. And I don't think that we ever come to a season where we figure it out completely. But what I do think our hope is, is that we can rest in the message of the cross. We can rest in the beauty and the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And that's going to be the key to sustaining long-term generosity is to rest in the good news of the gospel of who he is and what he's done. So that's why I put the center of the pendulum is the cross. Because when we daily refresh ourselves with the truths of the gospel of who Christ is and what he's done, it creates a sense of brokenness and humility before him. Our hearts are transformed into grateful hearts And the mercy and grace of the gospel begin to take hold of our lives. So when we're over here and we're feeling discouraged and tired and overwhelmed, we need to remember that the work has been finished and His grace is sufficient in our weakness. And it's His work and we need His power to work in and through us to accomplish anything. The fruit is His. And then when we're over here, when we're feeling self-righteous and have a savior complex, we need to be reminded of the cross. 
that we too are broken and in desperate need of the grace of God. And so what I've been learning on this journey, and really it's been over the last two to three years, I've been learning the importance of staying near to the cross and of what Pastor Aaron has been kind of teaching us is to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to share maybe some familiar scriptures from the Old and the New Testament. But I want us to see kind of the gospel shape in those verses. And so the first verse I want to start with is Micah 6.8. So if you have your Bible with you, if you would open to Micah chapter 6. I'm going to start, I'm going to read verse 8, and then we'll back up and look at the fuller context. Micah 6, 8. It says, He has told you, Thank you. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, and to love kindness, or some translations say, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now this is a verse that for me has been a, really a life verse for me since I've been a student at Moody. And if, it's, if there's any verse that kind of encapsulates a, a generous lifestyle, a, a, a lifestyle of self-giving, probably Micah 6.8 is, is the verse for that. And I've, I've, I've had it on t-shirts, and I've put it on our prayer card and different things. It's, it's really become an important verse to me. But I think the danger in a verse like this is that sometimes we just, we isolate it the way I have done on the screen, and we just look at the verse, but we don't look at the full context of which the verse sets. And the beautiful thing about the journey that God has taken me on is that he's show me in different places in the scripture verses like this where he show me the full context and seeing that this verse is within the context of God's redemptive work that he's done on behalf of his people. And this verse is the heart response responding to his grace and his redemption on our behalf. So I want to take a look at the full context this morning looking at Micah 6, verses 1 through 8. Now this was written by the prophet Micah. He wrote to the southern kingdom of Judah. And all of the prophets were really a gift of grace from God sent to his people who had begun to fall off course, turning away to idolatry and different things. And they were gifts of his grace to come to the people to remind them of who their God was and to encourage them to repent and turn back to their God, to be restored. And so this was the message of Micah. The book of Micah kind of has a dual theme, one of judgment and a strong message of repentance, but also one of hope and restoration. And so I'll start off, I just want to read kind of a chunk at a time, and then we'll unpack these together. Micah 6.1, it says, Hear what the Lord says. Arise. Arise. 
Plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against His people, and He will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. In those first three verses then the Lord is laying out his case against his people and he's calling on nature to be his witness and the people are clearly guilty they had fallen into idolatry and they had allowed greed and corruption to set in and they were oppressing the poor and there was great injustice and immorality and idol worship that had taken place And so in the midst of this, he's laying out his case against his people, and his people are guilty. But notice also in verse 3 that there's covenant language in there. It's the covenant love language of God that, yes, they are guilty of sin and injustice, but they are his people and he is their God. And so he transitions in verse 4 and 5 to remind them of who their God is, and to remind them of all that he's done on their behalf. Look as it goes into verse 4 and 5. It says, For I brought you up from the land of Egypt, and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. He kind of walks them through their history with his faithfulness. And he says, remember that I'm the God that redeemed you out of slavery, that you were enslaved in the land of Egypt, and I brought you out. I set you free, and I sent before you leaders, Moses and Arian, Miriam, to serve you and to be intermediaries between myself and you. That there was a time when there was a king, right before you were about to enter into the promised land, there was a a king who got a little itchy about you, and he wanted you to be cursed, and so he went to a prophet to have you cursed. But remember that I was your protector, that I was good to you, and instead of a curse being placed upon you, I said, no, speak blessing upon them. They're my people. I love them. He says, remember that you were in Shittim and that was the last city, the campsite that they were at on the east side of the Jordan about to enter into the promised land. And they went to Gilgal. That's where they camped after God had taken them into the land. And it was at Shittim that they broke covenant with the Lord, that they turned their backs on him. But yet God was faithful to them. God was gracious to them. He kept his promise. He took them into the land. And it was at Gilgal that he renewed his covenant with them. And so he's walking him through these events from their history and reminding them, don't forget about who I am. That I've been faithful to you. That I've showered my grace upon you. That I've kept my promises to you in spite of you that I've protected you, that I've led you and guided you. He says that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. Now for us, 
we're, we come at it from a different place of redemptive history. But I want us to see that there's parallels between the two. That, that we're on the other side of the cross, so to speak. But we too need to look to God and remind ourselves of all that he's done on our behalf. That we too were in bondage to sin and that we were incapable of freeing ourselves. But God stepped in and redeemed us out of slavery and offered us new life and freedom. That we too were underneath a curse, the curse of sin. But that Christ stepped in and bore the curse on the cross for us. That Christ has kept his promise that he came to redeem and save and rescue us. We're on a different side of redemptive history, but we too can look and remember all that God has done on our behalf. One verse that I think lays this out plainly is Romans 5, 6 through 8. It says, for while we were still weak at the right time. Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is a verse that we need to keep coming back to to be refreshed in the gospel, reminding that we too, we were weak, And we were spiritually dead and we were incapable of doing anything for ourselves. We weren't deserving of it, but God in his grace and in his mercy and love, even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So then we come back to Micah 6, verses 6 and 7. He asked questions about, well, how do we then respond to a God who has done so much for us? How do we respond to God's redeeming work on our behalf? And he goes through a a series of questions. He says, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil, shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. Notice he's saying, is the Lord looking for a religious response? And in those lists of sacrifices, it starts with something minor and kind of escalates to a severe sacrifice. Does he want me to offer my firstborn? And what Micah was doing here is he was asking a series of rhetorical questions to suggest that there was nothing, not even the most extreme sacrifice that they could offer that could atone for what they had done. But what this emphasizes is that God did not want them to pay him. Instead, God wanted them to respond to his grace And his work on their behalf with grateful hearts. He he wasn't looking just for a religious response. Let me crank up my religious response. Let me crank up my activity. Let me increase the amount of my sacrifice. Maybe that will satisfy God. No. 
He was looking for hearts that had been so affected by His grace, His mercy, and His love on their behalf that with grateful hearts, they would live out certain things towards others. And the same is true for us today. That He's not looking for simply a religious response. For us to kind of crank up our activity minus a heart that is connected to Him. Minus a heart that has been transformed by His grace. So in light of His redemptive work, what is our response? That's when He comes in with the familiar verse. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. It's an outward response to an inward changed heart. It's when we have, our hearts have felt His mercy and His love that we are then compelled to outwardly care for others. And you think of each one, if, if you consider going back to Romans 5 or the, the verses in Micah, that we were in a helpless state. And now that we've been transformed by His grace, we are compelled to go and help those who are helpless, to contend for justice for those who can't contend for justice for themselves. That we were in a place in desperate need of God's mercy. Now we've tasted that mercy. So now we have hearts that say, how can we extend mercy towards others? That we've come to know God. And we've come to know both His glory and His grace. Therefore, we walk humbly with Him in faithfulness. This is a a heart response. We could entitle these the Micah marks of grace upon our life. To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly. Another place that I think kind of contains this same type of message, this heart change that works outwardly towards generosity, is 1 John 3 16 through 18. 1 John 3 16 through 18 says, By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods. And sees his brother in need. Yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children let us not love in word or talk. But in deed and in truth. You see the key peace to the scripture is is our hearts and how we respond to his love that this is how we know what love is that christ came and laid down his life for us it was selfless sacrificial love that he gave on the cross to atone for our sins and then it says and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers that's giving of ourselves and if we see those who are needy materially that we might give of our stuff there's kind of a both and effect that happens there and and really if we are giving of ourselves our our wallets kind of follow behind that but it starts with a heart that has been affected by his love so i want to pause and just ask the question this morning 
is where are our hearts? What are the condition of our hearts this morning? We don't want to drift into kind of good activity minus a heart that is resting in the grace and love and mercy of God. And we have to be mindful of what I said earlier about the pendulum swings. If our hearts, if we're honestly feeling overwhelmed and discouraged and tired this morning in the midst of the work, in the midst of giving of ourselves and giving of our stuff, well, let's come back and be refreshed in the gospel. And if in our hearts we have crept over to this other side where we are feeling pretty good about ourselves, if we're honest, and we feel like we get it now, but there's a lot of folks in the church who don't quite get it. If we're over here, then let's come back and be refreshed by the truths of the gospel. Let's allow his love to refresh our hearts afresh so that we can enter in with a right response. I want us to think for a second about different ways that God has blessed us in ways that we can be generous that, that maybe don't include our money for a second. So I, I came up with a list and it's a little bit different for all of us. Consider our network of family, our network of friends, and our network of colleagues. How could God use that to kind of act justly and love mercy towards others? What about our time? And, and think through kind of your weekly routines. How could God use that to be a blessing to others? Consider your unique skills, your expertise and training and talents and abilities. How could God use that to be a blessing to someone else? Our language skills and the gospel. What would God have us to do as we consider all that he's done for us in the ways that he's blessed us? How can we extend ourselves towards others? Because yes, generosity of our stuff is important. I love the compassion cube idea. I want to take that back to living hope. But I want us to think this morning, what does it mean to give of ourselves? How do, what does it mean to be relationally generous towards those in our sphere? Paul said it this way in 1 Thessalonians 2.8. He was writing to folks that he loved and he said, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become so dear to us. We, we were ready. Part of generosity is just, just this readiness to give. It's this compulsion, this readiness. He says, we were ready not only to share the gospel, but we wanted to share our lives with you. We wanted to give you access to our lives. We wanted to let you in. And I was reflecting on that this morning as we think through what does it mean to make ourselves available to be generous with our lives? What does it mean to give people access to our lives? And I was 
thinking in, in kind of the, the rhythm and the life of our church, one of the ministries that was started early on was the ministry of the Daily Bread Cafe. And it's, it's our Saturday kind of mercy ministry where every Saturday we have a short service and we serve breakfast. But I'm convinced that one of the things that, one of the reasons maybe God birthed that ministry and has just blessed it in different ways is that in His grace, it's kind of created a place in which people come and they, they feel comfortable to be, to, to be known. That they know that people are going to get to know their name and get to know their story. That, that they know that there's going to be conversations had across tables and that they can share coffee with people and, and read the newspaper with someone and, and not knocking any of like the rescue mission stuff, but I know that once you get a certain amount of people in and through the doors, it's, it's harder to be intimate like that. And so I think the beauty is it's created this intimate space where people come and we're able to generously love them, not necessarily by giving of our resources, but just saying, I care about you. I want to know your story. I want to know your name. I, I, I want you to be a part of my life, my family's life. How can we do life together? Now, that example is, is kind of a, a programmatic example. And sometimes as we think through these things, we might be such as the eye screening is kind of a, a programmed outreach. But what a beautiful way to create a space to be generous towards others. But what I want us to think today more personally and less about program is what about our everyday ordinary lives in this? What about our dinner tables? What about our weekly family routines, our, our family outings? What about our Starbucks visits? I, I don't know your exact weekly routine, but how, how can we use our dinner table as a way to be generous towards others, to give of ourselves, to say, I genuinely want you to know us and we want to know you? How can we think through the routines of our family and say, who, who can we somehow include in an act of generosity of giving of ourselves relationally or our, our Starbucks time I don't know maybe you're not Starbucks drinkers in here but I think that's sometimes a safe illustration and I know I spent a lot of time there but think through your daily and weekly routines and ask the Lord how can I extend myself in this and welcome people in through generosity to say I care and I want to make myself available I want to close just with a quote, and we have a, a closing reflective song. But one thing as well, as I've been reflecting on our gospel partnership, we have a great opportunity together as churches to do what Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 talks about. How can we stir up one another towards love and good deeds? So God has placed us in a great area for a great season together. In the Bay Area, where I've heard estimates that it's 95% unchurched, that there's a large homeless community, that people are moving here from all over the world, that there is uh, sex trafficking going on, and there's 
just all different types of challenges and issues, but what a great opportunity as gospel partners to say, how can we stir up one another towards love and good deeds and give of ourselves and just see a movement of generosity, to see people reached with the gospel, to see people welcomed into families? What a great opportunity we have together. And I think, I love the way Tim Keller is a quote from his book called Generous Justice. He said, when the Spirit enables us to understand what Christ has done for us, the result is a life poured out in deeds of justice and compassion for the poor. So my prayer, I just want to pray that for us, that the Spirit would enable us to fully understand and to daily understand what Christ has done for us so that the result would be a life poured out in generous living. That's grace-driven, gospel-saturated generosity in and through our lives. So let me just pray for us, and then we're going to have a reflection song. God, I just want to pray simply, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would work in all of our hearts and that we would be refreshed and encouraged this morning by all of who you are and all that you've done and that with uh, hearts full of gratitude this morning that we would continue to give of our stuff and to give of ourselves. We pray that you would work in and through us, Lord, for your glory and for the good of others. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.